0: Welcome to 5 Star Out Top 2, where we examine the cause of death for the greatest runs in pop culture, and today it's the Beastie Boys, the motherfucking Beastie Boys. Okay, so um, I've been a Beastie Boys fan for a long time, and um, they're, they're this group that I've I think kind of grown up with to an extent, and I've definitely gone back to over and over again, and I find very rewarding, and they're a really interesting case for five star autopsy because they are a group that changes so much they keep growing they're in a weird way when I would read about like the Beatles, I feel like this is a group I can kind of <laughs> no group's gonna be as influential as the Beatles but like the Beatles they change so much from album to album there's a they um I, I definitely I think it's a very similar experience from someone in the 60s. With the Beastie Boys in the 90s and 2000s like you grow up with them you see them evolve um as people as artists and all that kind of stuff it, it, it was it's a it's a crazy ride um so w- let's start with uh like the Beastie Boys my introduction to Beastie Boys you know the first album Licensed to Ill um it's before my time I think uh it's more of my sister's jam my older sister um, I knew like on MTV, I'd see some of the, the videos, you know, like uh, "Fight for Your Right" and, and stuff like that. But you know, it's funny, like back then, if it was two years old, it seemed ancient. Like the even the the production quality on like the video camera for the music video seems old and dorky and 80s. So I didn't really um, I didn't really get into that stuff, you know. Um, when I really started picking up on 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 the Beastie Boys and actually paying attention was more their um check your head and then um ill communications era so this is like 94 96 i remember seeing um the video for um so what you want and i remember just being like really fucking puzzled but like enthralled by it i remember seeing like it was it was in. um it was like the movie Wolfen, like almost like predator vision like it's a weird infrared thing and they're in the woods and they have these beanies and they're just going fucking nuts and I remember watching it and like so I was, I was mesmerized by how it looked but I was also by the music itself because I was like okay it's, it's hip-hop it's rap but they sound like they're they're the mics sound super distorted I hadn't heard that of rap before it, it's it's it, it sounded like intentionally like like feedback-y and it sounded like those shitty mics they give you as a kid that barely amplify your voice and so you speak really close to it really loud and this sounds muffled and terrible like a hungover darth vader it sounded like that and it was working it sounded cool and i, I remember liking that and you know i was oh and i still am i'm a rock guy so i i, I didn't really um kind of forgot about them um you know that song definitely does rock despite it being hip-hop um, but when Sabotage hit, it's like 96-ish, I guess, it's, of course, the Spike Jones video, like, that grabs your attention, but that song, I had never heard anything like that, and we're gonna, we're gonna get to it, I'm jumping ahead, I just wanna tell you, that's, that song is when I was like, what the fuck is this, who, who are these guys, are these, 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 these are the BC Boys, these are the guys who did like Fight for Your Right back in the 80s, and then they did some cool stuff is what you want, and like, uh, other stuff, I kind of heard, but also, I'm like, this is like, super punk, super crazy, kind of still funky, I, I just couldn't even, I couldn't figure out what to call this music, um, and I loved it, I thought it was awesome, and of course, they don't, they don't ever really write a song like Sabotage again, they, and they don't really need to, um, they, they set it off, that one song, but that's what picked my interest, so I started, like, seeking out their music, and it, it, it opened me up, it was, it was incredible, but let's, let's, let's talk about this, this run, okay, the Beastie Boys run, um, late 80s, I think 88 is when we have License to Ill, their, their debut, oh, wow, not 88, 86, I actually have some notes, um, 86, um, the Beastie Boys, despite being the '80s and being big parts a big part of the '80s, for me, I'm a '90s kid. The '90s is is really what, um, is when I start paying attention, and I think of them in my head. I think of them as a '90s artist, but they're really an '80s and '90s, and of course later on artists. But they're they're they they drop a jaw dropping a jaw dropping debut. Like there's no getting around it. And in fact, this is such a huge debut, such a solid album that it is a shadow caster in a lot to a certain extent at least initially um uh, license to ill is you know I, I i came to it after i already had listened to check your head and ill communications and i think i i don't know if i bought this one at paul's boutique first but um even at the time, it's funny, now I love anything that sounds 80s, like most people do, but at the time in the 90s, it's like, oh, it sounds a little rinky-dinky, you know, the 808 drum sound, which you know, Ad-Rock will talk about and stuff like that all the time, it sounded kind of dorky, now I love it, um, even with that sort of like um, prejudice against it, listening to albums, like this is so good, this is so, f- each song is, is perfect, basically, even though, even there's a, there might be some throwaway stuff, but it's not even, it's just compared to, like, the, the instant classics on the album, they seem throwaway, License to Ill, you can't, <laughs> I remember being a kid, listening to the first song, Rhymin' and Stealing, and the drum, it, 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 and, and instantly knowing, that drum is, that's when the levee breaks from Zeppelin, isn't it, and then the guitar, which I, I believe is actually them, uh, just playing, like in the studio, Black Sabbath, Sweet Leaf, Leaf riff—it's not a sample; they actually played it because it's a pretty simple riff. But playing that, so Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin together with three dudes rapping over it—it it, was—it was the dream. It was every rock white boy's dream. It was like, yeah, that's—that's—that's that's, that's what I want to hear. I um, it, it, I got really big in the Beastie Boys in, in the nineties, like 96, 97, and, and like in and, and like late ninety-eight. So much so, one of my um, my good friends, Zach Warner, one of his, we were talking about like how we, we got to know each other. We went to high school together. I was a grade above him. He's like, um, I don't know when we first start talking. My first memory of you, Tony, was um, <laughs> was walking. He's like, this is Zach talking. Zach's like, I was walking down the hall. um, it's a like bathroom break or something like that. There's no one else in the hall. And all of a sudden, I hear something. And around the corner, I see you, Tony, in a full-on jumpsuit, screaming, Ali, Bubba, and the 40 Thieves. Ali, Baba and the 40 Thieves, just ch- chanting it, roaring it, and I didn't, I don't think I had my discman on, I think I was just feeling it, just like, I was just screaming Beastie Boys lyrics, and I walked past him, and it actually, I was a little freaked out by you, I wasn't sure, like, what was wrong with you, that's his first memory of me, <laughs> that's pretty accurate, I, like, I, I don't remember seeing him, but I remember doing stuff like that, and definitely that song, that, that, that part, that chant, when they start screaming Ali, Baba and, and the 40 Thieves for, whatever reason, um, I love it, (laughs) I I love that, um, so, the Beastie Boys, that's the first song on the first album, it's, it's huge, it's, they they definitely put their flag down, now, talking about the Beastie Boys, like, he he, was, it was not lost to me, even then as a kid, to understand, like, because MTV was, this is one of the first groups that, like, MTV was really into, um, in like real time, sort of packaging their myth, and and, and sort of um, telling you the story of who these guys were, even while they're making it, sort of, so, obviously, there are three white guys who rap, and three of the first white guys who rap who got popular, and, of course, in the 80s, them being white helped suburban kids identify with them, and made, maybe, I'm assuming a bunch of kids who wouldn't have listened to any rap albums before, try this. Like, listen to Fight For Your Right, which has, you know, you know, it's rap. It's got a rock riff. It, um, it, it has enough rock going for it that it seems like it's, it's an easier jump. And you have three white guys who they can identify with or whatever. And so this helps um, the beefs voice get big. It also helps hip hop get bigger because now maybe some like white kids in the suburbs listen to the Beastie Boys and they're like, oh man, I love it. I like, I like rap. What's Run DMC like? I'll try those guys. Boom. I'll try these guys. I'll try these guys. And then they start, you know, you onto onto actually the black artists who, you know, actually created hip hop and it starts them on their hip hop journey, right? So the Beastie Boys, um, that's an important part. And I think for me, I've always been a rock guy. I do like rap. I do like hip hop. Um... I will say, though, I definitely, as a kid, I listened to more of it, and I think I the, the last, like, rap album I actually sought out and and bought and listened to a bunch all the way through was, like, Jurassic 5's first album. I think that's, like, early 2000s or, like, maybe even 99 or something, and after that, I, I kind of would listen to some songs I thought were really cool and interesting, and once in a while, I'd get into an album you know, um, and I'd find some albums, like, usually, like 10 years later, and I do that a lot of rock bands, too, like, after they break up and the lead singer dies, 10 years later, I will discover them and go, oh, they're really cool, but, um, you know, I do think that, uh, the Beastie Boys whiteness, I, I, I liked rap before that, but I think they're, it's weird, I didn't think of it at the time as, a, on the superficial level, like, oh, they're white, I'm white, so I could identify this music more, but I did think that, um, they're, whiteness and their dorkiness like I can identify with and so maybe that's why I've latched on and held on to them but at the same time I think beyond uh racial stuff which is which is weird to think about really when you like because I didn't think at the time but in retrospect it's like yeah I think that must have been a factor I think another reason why I kept going back to Beastie Boys is that they, they kept making albums and they kept changing and, and evolving. And so when I was, you know, growing up in the 90s, like the biggest stuff in rap was like gangster rap. And I did like a lot of it. Um, I, I had The Chronic. I had uh, Doggy Style, Doc, uh, Snoop Dogg. Um, but even as a kid, uh, some of like the, the misogyny and some like the tough guy lyrics, I either thought that it was stupid or gross, or I just like, I felt kind of like a fake if I was, like, singing along the lyrics, of like, ah, I'm not, I'm not this dude, I'm not a gangster, I'm not tough, you know, I'm, I'm not fucking Ice Cube, I'm not Dre, um, but the Beastie Boys, I was like, oh, they're kind of talking about crazy random shit, and even, even their stories about, like, uh, shooting stuff up, and robbing stuff, and whatever, fishing their early albums, it felt more like, obviously, we're, we're full of shit, and we're joking around, and we're exaggerating, none of this happened, um, and so I think that helped me kind of identify them a little bit more. And then as they got older and they actually started sort of uh, talking about, like, yeah, we were, we were idiots back then. We were, we were uh, sexist. We were, we were homophobic. We were this and that. And even acknowledging, yeah, um, we're white and we uh, we love hip-hop and we never tried to uh, exploit it per se, but we know that we had some doors open for us that weren't open for other uh, black artists because we were white. All that stuff kind of um, helped me continue my... Um, identification of those guys, like, I feel like, you know, their journey to kind of, uh, being honest with a lot of things, and, and, and acknowledging, like, where they fucked up, it paralleled my own smaller version of that, but anyways, that shit doesn't even matter, because the first album, this is, like, you know, this is, the, this is their, if, um, <laughs> if the Beastie Boys are ever, like, ashamed of what they've done, it's because of, of this album, but I don't think they really need to be, or, it's it, this album is is dumb fun um it's right there on the borderline it's it's supposed to be like um over the top it's supposed to be idiotic um they talk about a lot how they basically started out parodying like frat boy idiots and tough guys and then they became that and I think it happens a lot in life and this album it, it takes it right to the hilt you know like and I but it's funny when I finally listened to the full album, it was already after they had kind of uh, grown up a little bit and changed their their ways. So it was sort of like um, I knew where the story would go. And so I was sort of allow I, I don't know, in a weird way, like more like I told, this is going to be fun. It's fine. No big deal. These guys will, you know, they're turning out okay. The kids will be all right. Um, but the album is great. The album, it's funny. The songs that actually kind of feel dated are some of the, um, it, like Fight For Your Right is something that is... It's obviously a perfect pop, rap rock song. It's extremely catchy. The uh, sentiment is like a universal, like it's great kid um, rebellion, but still basically innocuous um, fodder. Um, it's great. It's like it's like Van Halen Hot for Teacher. It's like okay, this is this is a dumb thing that we've all thought at some po- point in our lives as a as a teenager and someone finally put it to record, right, so it's great, but it is one of the songs that I'll find myself kind of skipping sometimes when I'm listening to the album again, maybe it's been played out too much, maybe it's because it is a little too like 80s bad production rock, like it just sounds a little, a uh, little Swiss cheesy, but No Sleep for Brooklyn does the same thing, but I still like that song a lot more, great album, but of course you have more like straight up hip-hop stuff like Paul Revere, you have, even even Girls is fucking really crazy and fun, the xylophone stuff um it's a it's a great album i mean i I think it's really hard to 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 straight up knock the album and um it sets up their next album which is where the story really gets interesting okay so the beastie boys in a way they're sort of a novelty act at least that's how they're perceived in some ways like okay white kids doing rap okay sure and they had, you know, Fight for Your Right, and then they had, you know, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, and Paul Revere got play, and, and Girls, and so it's like, okay, so instead of being One Hit Wonder, maybe they have a hit album. There's no way these guys can repeat that. And they don't, actually, they, they don't. What they do is they make an album called Paul's Boutique. Paul's Boutique is continues the run, and it follows a jaw-dropping debut with a misunderstood masterpiece. This is something that was critically, and especially commercially, uh, considered a dud. Uh, it was considered a huge misstep. It was considered uh, bad. It was considered straight up bad. And it is now considered, by most people, their, their best album. Maybe one of the best albums uh, of the 80s. Maybe one of the best hip-hop albums. Um, it's 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 so funny how far the pendulum has swung the other way. And I think it's all that seems seems pretty fair, man. Like it's it's great. Paul's Boutique. I could see why it wasn't um, initially like considered uh, a good follow up, but I also am kind of surprised it took so long for it to, to get the accolades it did. Paul's Boutique. What it does is um, instead of Rick Rubin as a producer, uh, the Beastie Boys they go to California. They're New York guys. And they hook up with these dudes called the Dust Brothers. And Dust Brothers um, were basically making like party mixtapes and full of like soul and funk samples and stuff like that. And they were at some party, I guess. And the Beast Boys heard it, oh, these guys are, these are cool. And they found out those dudes were at the party too. You talk to them and they're like, hey, let's what's, just what's try some, doing some songs. Try doing some lyrics on top of your stuff. And I think one of the first things they done did together was the Shake Your Rump song, which is like song two. The re- first real song on Paul's Boutique. And it fucking destroys. It's so good they basically make this sample fucking ziggurat of just so much dense sampling, so many cool, weird choices that mesh together really well. It's, it's, it's an incredible piece of just um, sound. And then the Beastie Boys are doing their Beastie Boys routines on top of it, but I think this is them at their lyrically at their most dense, weird and interesting, like this, I, I don't know if they ever actually rap better than on this album, and subject matter wise, it's sort of a carryover from from the first album, but they are letting their guard down a little bit, and actually showing, I think they're being a little bit more the, of them, their real selves, I feel like they are telling these crazy stories about being car thieves, and taking so, tons of fucking drugs, which, I, you know, they're taking some drugs, but also there are some stories like you know you know getting their guns and blowing shit up and just you know stuff that did not happen but they also pair it with like um stuff like Eggman where they were throwing eggs and doing funny shit and talking about being you know when they're younger and they're punk rockers they're originally a punk band like they are it it's it's sort of I think letting in the audience a little bit more into the who those three dudes are and we didn't do it at the top so we'll talk about who these three guys are real quick okay you have Ad-Rock right you have MCA and you have Mike D. These are the Beast Boys. As a kid, the first thing that stood out to me was Ad Rock's voice. Ad Rock's voice was there's nothing like that voice I had heard on the radio from any band or or rapper or anyone. It insanely nasal and he insanely nasal, but with attitude and like a fuck you charisma and funny but also kind of like he might fight you and you might lose despite him sounding like like it it sounded like the most nerdy guy in the world who was also just fucking like on pcp and ready to break every bone in your body for no reason and he was also kind of funny that all came through in that voice and like uh, it was crazy and of course sabotage he he goes like to 11 on that he's just screaming and and, and kind of rapping he's really leaning into his voice and it's it's incredible um so that was the first thing like that voice and like i was like oh my god that that voice is awesome that that's a really unique voice then you have um mca mca's voice is also awesome it was a uh, way gruff it sounded like he's 45 years old and when he's like 20 or 18 um he had a, but he's also had a cool like it was like rough and grumpy. He had a smooth delivery. It sounded like he was a really cool flow. And as you as you get into the band, you find out he's like got, he's got more like um like his, the initial albums. He had he had a real tough guy persona, but he also had the kind of like the the smartest guy in the room kind of thing. At least of the, the Beastie Boys, so the smartest guy the Beastie Boys like in their in their kind of early persona is still like you know a lughead, but he's sort of like a little more um, meditative and and he. He, he he seemed like if they were the Three Stooges, he's the mo. He he was the mo, and uh, then you have Mike D. And so Mike D. As a kid, I was like, okay, his voice isn't as good as the other two guys. He, it seems kind of boring. It seems like he's just like a normal normal white guy voice, like my voice, and you know that wasn't cool. Um, but he was funny. And he has some good lines, and then, then it's bit, my appreciation Mike Mike D is it goes up and up as the as the band continues, and that's partially because Mike D gets better and better, but it's also partially because I start appreciating what he is doing. So Mike D's voice, I think just sonically, you have Ad Rock is this lead guitar, uh, cuts through. It's just very very sharp, and then you have MCA is the bass. He's hanging back, but he's that low end, you know, and he's keeping things going. It's it's nice and it flows. And then Mike D's in the middle. Mike D, he's not um, as nasal and sharp as ad Rock, and even his persona is not as in your face like with the attitude. And he's also not as um, he's not as not as super like uh, Buddha on the mountain or uh, <laughs> Buddha with the shotgun. Uh, car thief kind of guy MCA is in the early records either he's right there in the middle he's just kind of funny he's actually seems like the youngest one I forget if he is or not but he sounds like and he feels like sometimes like the youngest one he makes kind of the most jokes and his jokes are kind of the most silly and and fun and that as the band continues I think he actually gets better at rapping his voice doesn't change but he knows how to use it more and he has in a weird way the most range as far as I think MCA stays the best uh actual rapper he has the best flow and best lyrics ad rock has um the most like rock and roll charisma of them but mike d becomes like let's how to put this mike d has the most range mike d does a lot with his voice and within his lyrics to accentuate a lyric he'll like raise his voice let his voice skip or crack his voice um he'll he'll he he has a lot of he has a, he has a lot of character. He's like uh, he he has a lot of range. He's like Krusty the Clown, trying to get onto um, Radioactive Man in the movie, and he's got that sheet with like him as a clown doctor, him as a clown scientist, him as a clown surgeon, whatever. Like, <laughs> these are all doctors, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. He's he's a four clown, he's a clown pirate, whatever. He's like, look at my range. Mike D has that range. They're all Mike D, but they're different shades of Mike D, and so Mike D's incredible. Mike D, the Jewish Brad Pitt, he he's earned it. Mike D's great. Those three guys, right? Those three guys who, I think at the time, the story goes, and I think it is true, they talk about it in the BC Boys book, you know, everyone in the industry either thought they were a white novelty act, or there's just no way they could match the pop success of that first album. And so they decide, They Jeff Jam wants them to basically make, uh, you know, License it to Ill too. They're over it. They don't want to do that. Um, they want to do something else, something different, something that's more them, and they're trying to figure out who they, who they are, right? And Those three guys make this crazy, unexpected masterpiece. And um, they, those three guys. What's cool about the Beastie Boys is like, um, like, like most of the best bands, and I think most of the best rap groups, um, they're all good on their own, but like they're really special together. Like those three guys bounce off each other. They finish each other's sentences. They, um, they just have weird contrast with one another, uh, lyrically, vocally, all that stuff it's really, it's really great when it, and it almost always works, but when it's really working, like, it doesn't pause boutique throughout the whole album, it's just, like, staggering, like, oh my god, and so listen to it, um, pause boutique, like, there's a song Car Thief, which I, I, is one of my favorite songs I've ever done, the vibe is so weird, the vibe is like this, like, there's still tons of jokes, but the jokes are sort of, like, subtler, and less, like, over the top as they are in the first album but then the subject matter is kind of more over the top and and weirder it just feels like it, it just feels like this really esoteric thing and that's what the Boys start becoming like it's like they're making jokes and all this stuff but they all become like in jokes and they're like really in jokes like maybe no one besides those three guys would actually understand why why this is funny or why this is the subject matter but um as you get into the world you start like um investigating and learning things and kind of figuring out some of the weird slang they're using and the weird codes they're kind of using, and you just get really involved, and you get um, Paul's Boutique kind of, um, for all the cool stuff they do sonically with the Dust Brothers, the best part for me is actually what those three guys come up with to say throughout most of the album, and this is also, so this is them sort of transitioning from like their fake tough guy personas into starting to reveal who they really are but this is still a heightened, like, over-the-top cartoon version of whoever they are. And this is... So this is captures that moment, right? Um, there's so many... I, I'm trying to, like, think of what songs... Shadrach, there's, like... It's all these great songs, but unlike the first album, which has all these like, um, which has a bunch of great songs, but there was also these hit singles. This one doesn't really have those, like, there are singles which are like, okay, that should be a single, Hey Ladies, and it was, and in Shadrach, Shadrach, but it actually works best as one big piece. And that was one of those things as a kid, I was like learning that, like, oh, some albums are, are a collection of great songs, which can be, um, you know, you get listen to them on, on their own, they're awesome. Other albums are a collection of great songs that really work best as a piece. So, like the Beastie Boys themselves, these songs work best one after another Um, so you have something like um hey ladies right super funky they're talking about james brown it just sounds so cool so it's so funny it's got a groove you can dance to it they followed up with a joke called five piece chicken dinner which is banjos and them doing redneck voices kind of going like yes we are white and we're doing funk and and soul we're talking about you know the, the the most awesome black music we aren't those guys we get it it's a joke and they follow up with like, the punk metal, uh, song, uh, Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun, which, this song is, like, on paper, you're like, okay, so it's, like, them going back to, like, license Ill, and it's like, no, this is them playing instruments again, which they haven't done much from, on, on the first album, here and there, I think there's a couple spots, but this is them, instead of sounding like, uh, like, cheesy 80s metal, this is more them, sounding really, like, gritty, and, and, and punker, and, and rougher, and the lyrics, there are tons of jokes in the song, but it, it's also really angry, and it doesn't, it's like, it's, it doesn't sound like it's pretending much, it sounds like they actually really are pissed, and, of course, Ara comes in, with like, the beginning, just, like, ah, rolling down the hell snow, just, like, screaming, and, you know, I, I kind of defy you not to, like, nod your head and you hear it you're just like oh god it's keep, just it's like homer simpson again i'm sorry like the simpsons but homer's talking about loud. listen to rock songs like sometimes you just nod your head like yeah keep on rocking or you shake your head and go don't don't stop don't stop rocking that's that's how i do this song every time i love this song um but you see the, the contrast, you have this crazy funk, you have them kind of making fun of themselves with banjos, and the next song is this awesome punk rock song. Those are all fine on their own, but together it's like this awesome like conversation they're having with you, the listener, and with, them, with themselves, and you're privy to it. Um, it's incredible. That, the whole record's like that. Um, it just kind of, it's one long, it's one humongous song in a weird way. Um, And that's that. This thing, everyone gives it, you know, all all the praise now. And I think it is their best album, but it's not my favorite. My favorite album is their next album. So the run continues, right? So uh, Paul's Boutique is 1989, right? So 1992, they return with Check Your Head, and so the Beastie Boys at this point they they've they've morphed, right? They started out license ill, kind of. uh, over the top cartoon frat boy uh white boy hip hop thing pause boutique they come in with a sort of like LSD inspired california kind of uh fear and loathing just like super psychedelic weird thing more funk the third album check your head is them reinventing their roots but all their roots right so Checkerhead famously they start playing instruments again, right? They start playing, uh, you know, full on, it's there's some straight up punk thrash songs, not thrash, not really, but like hardcore punk punk rock songs. But they're also them learning to basically all the samples they like they did on Dust Brother the Dust Brothers album Paul's Boutique. Them trying to play music that's kind of like that. Maybe it's kind of like Booker T and MGs. Maybe it's kind of like you know a little bit of James Brown instrumental stuff. But it's them trying to do their version of what that would be, which is a you know it's punky. It, it's it's a it's different. It's it's of course they're not the most technically proficient musicians, um, but it's going to be their own. It's them figuring out how to do that, right? They hook up with Mario C and they have. um, great organ sound and keyboard sound, and so they basically, within the third album, they reinvent themselves for the third time, and this is kind of my favorite period of the Beastie Boys, probably because it's the first one I really got into, but it's also, it's just really special, and this is, to me, this is, uh, this is my favorite album of theirs, and I think this is, um, I think this is another masterpiece, and this one is actually, it wasn't a huge hit, but it was a decent hit, and it, it Basically made people go like, "Oh, the Beastie Boys are here to stay. Like they have something to say. They're they're doing something different again," and it basically made people reassess um, Paul's Boutique before it, and of course, um, it made them reassess License to Ill, which is already a huge hit. But um, made them go like, "Oh, so that was just a starting point. Like this guy, these guys are gonna keep on you know throwing us like new things, new sides to themselves." And then the following album is when they finally um, had fully re-emerged um, commercially as a big act, but also, like, uh, critically, people kind of figured out, okay, I think, I think we know who the BC Boys are now, and so check your head, like, I love this, the, the album starts with a sample, which I actually thought was just the BC Boys sampling themselves from one of their own concerts, the voice is like, this is the first song on our new album, and I always thought that was really cool and funny, it's, it's Cheap Trick, I found out years later, I wasn't the biggest Cheap Trick fan, but Live at Budokan, that's a sample from Cheap Trick um the album is just got this really cool like punk funk stoner vibe going for it um and like the sound is great you have moments like so what you want which is like so so rocking that 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 beat is so big and it just sounds like they really embrace distortion so like the psychedelic stuff from the second album is still there but now it's in the form of uh, a lot of vocal distortion and them of course trying to play some of that funk spacey funk stuff that they sampled and created with the samples from the second album this is them trying to create that spacey funk with with live instruments for the most part and also still samples um it makes it this really cool sound it makes it sound really unique and and kind of uh DIY, in a good way, it sounds kind of lo-fi at, po- at points, and, you know, like, uh, there, there's, you know, there's so many cool moments where, like, I don't know what I'm listening to exactly, I don't know what, if that's a guitar, if that's an organ, if that's a scratch, or or what, and I love that, um, like, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the, the big songs I really love about this album, uh, one of the ones I really, really re- enjoy is, like, Gratitude gratitude is like one of their more kind of almost a rock song you know but it's got that awesome bass line and this is when you learn that mca is really good at playing bass and he's really good at playing bass with distortion it becomes like the lead instrument in in a lot of songs and sabotage kind of becomes like the the mount everest of that but gratitude shows you like that's what he's gonna do right and it's gonna be you're gonna love it you also have like you know um one of my favorite songs that they've ever done is something's got to give something's got to give has it's it's like um it's them maybe some of their spaciest stuff and really laid back it just makes you feel like you're waking up in the morning and it's a weird mood and it's 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 like you're not sure what the mood is 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 it ominous is it pleasant is it just is it ethereal like what and sonically, you're grooving along with the song, you know. Something, something's got to get a little echo. And there's a part near the end where all of a sudden, um, I believe it's a record scratch, but that sound comes in so much louder than the rest of the music you've listened to. It, it's, it's uh, it, it makes you kind of stand up, like, oh, what the fuck was that? It, it sounds like another world coming through your ears. It's, it, it sounds so big and loud. I love that trick. Like I remember, like Nine Inch Nails did that trick on. Um, uh, what the hell, they're, um, they're dead, they're, uh, was it Dead Souls? Yeah, their they're Joy Division cover, where at the very end of the song, uh, another set of drums come in that are even louder than the rest of the song has established the song can be, and it's just like, oh my god, like, I can't believe this got louder. That's, that, something's gotta give this the same trick. You have stuff like Stand Together, um, MCA really just going nuts, and like, showing off, and showing you how fast he can rap, and how incredible his lyrics can be and it's almost a solo thing from him a3 and the, the rest of the group kind of comes in with the chorus thing but stuff like that amazing great instrumentals this does like you know the first two albums I think the first album like 13 songs maybe um Paul's boutique the last song is uh like a 15 part thing which is full of like you know like 30 second long kind of songs. But they're starting—they're like, starting to get into really long, playing albums, like really big albums, and that will kind of hurt them, I think, eventually. But this is—this is still pretty much solid all the way through. And, and um, what's cool too about this album is like, so I think Paul's Boutique is their peak as far as uh, lyricists and and just rapping in general goes. But this is them kind of finally f- figuring out like, who—who f- who are we? Like, are, we're not gonna pretend to be these guys were not, we're not gonna pretend to be these, like, tough idiots, we're not gonna pretend we're, like, badass, like, drug, like, drug-soaked criminals, kind of in the last album, like, well, let's just, let's, let's be who we are, right, but then they're like, well, who, who is that exactly, and so this is them kind of really figuring that out, and I think the next album is when they finally, it fully gels, and the, lyrically, and, like, what they, what they're gonna talk about, what the themes are, and so, like the only thing I'll say against this album is that this the next album there are awesome funny bits. I think the comedy is a big part of the Beastie Boys, but it's this is them kind of getting more and more serious with things. Not that it's like, not that it's like a big messagey album or our band really, but it's just like it, it, it's less them like um, being a comedy act basically, and and that's fine. They come back to a lot of comedy and. They're also just growing up so it's like you know they, they can't always be the, the class clowns and so they they follow this album up with uh this is 92 94 is ill communication and so ill communications got sabotage sure shot this is what i think um i mean it it it, it revitalized the group commercially and it's also it's i mean it worked on me right i, I start seeing the videos uh of sabotage and sure shot all the time on mtv and you know, '94 is like the height of alternative rock, and then it's also the height of gangster rap, or at least it's like you know, gangster rap is still pretty big. '92 um, is probably more like the hype or the height. '92, '93, but um, this is them kind of going, well, we're not, we're not gangster rap, uh, we're not alternative rock, we are rap, we are punk, we are our own thing. Um, this is who we are. Um, so this is them basically kind of recreating a Check Your Head album. Same producer, same players, a lot of stuff. Same idea, like they're gonna do samples, but they're also gonna play live instruments. They're gonna sample their own live instruments. They're gonna play some songs which are straight up hardcore punk, some songs which are just them doing their spacey funk thing. Um, This is them kind of still in California mode. Um, It's sort of, this is the victory lap. So I think, yeah, the first album is, you know, jaw-dropping debut. Second one, Misunderstood Masterpiece. Third album is Reinventing the Roots. And this is them, the victory lap of that, of of that victory, of that Reinventing the Roots thing, right? And it works, and the only thing that's really a new addition is, like, um, I think they figured out the third album, this new sound, and then the fourth album is them figuring out, maybe here and there, how to have a little more of a a pop sheen to it, like how to make a, how to make a really catchy single out of this new sound. And I think So What You Want from the uh, Check Your Head is, incredible and i think it is pretty catchy but there you know it's it's there's other stuff that's kind of harder to um put out in the radio but this is this is a a, this is a big chorus this is this this is catchy right sure shot you have the song q-tip you have of course sabotage you have stuff where like they're like okay um this is a little easier to digest in a single format i think so this is a great album i do think this is this and the next album suffer from being too damn long I, I, I forget there's like 19 songs or 20 songs on this next album or not but like Check Your Head had like 20 songs and it was long but it kind of it just barely worked like it was but this is another 20 song album. there's stuff where like you have the, you have MCA really kind of become like George Harrison of the group where he's becoming more um socially conscious right so he's he's definitely embracing feminism and they all are but he's like vocal about it you know there's, there's the awesome lyric and sheer sure shot you know he's like, he basically's like you know I, I've said some dumb shit about women. I'm sorry. I like to offer my love and respect to the end, and it's great. And he was a kid. I was like, "Well, oh, that's cool." And I, it was it was nice because, like, you know, I hadn't heard a lot of people in general, a lot of guys in music or anything, kind of just say that. And and it wasn't like that was the whole song. It wasn't like he had to like, "Oh, stop the fun for a serious moment." It's like, "Hey, middle of the song, I'm gonna tell you something real." Boom. Okay, that's it. That's all I gotta say. And that was great. And but there's also stuff like he's he's talking about, you know, Buddhism and and, and talking about Tibet and. I think these are all great messages and cool stuff, but there's some songs where it's, like, it's him just, like, and a bunch of monks chained in the background, and I'm just not that into it musically, I think it's kind of boring, and there's stuff like that, and so the second half of the album especially kind of wanes for me a little bit, they're, but there's, you know, there's still fucking great stuff on this, like, don't get me wrong, like, you know, Friedman's Rule, Eugene's Lament, like, there's awesome stuff in the second half half of the album, But yeah, it it just, it goes on a little too long, I think you could take off four songs and you might have something really strong, um, it does not kill the run, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, the next album is Hello Nasty, and so, Hello Nasty's 98, right, Hello Nasty, um, I was into Beastie Boys because of Sabotage and some other stuff, so at this point I think, I don't know if I had i don't know if i had bought a beastie boys album yet or if i had like just one like check your head or or just it'll uh, our license ill or something but um helen asked me i remember i got when it came out because i remember i saw the intergalactic video and i was like holy shit this is fucking great so not only am i saying the video itself was great because it was it had like you know giant Ultraman, like, uh, kaiju monster battles, and super lo-fi, Spike Jones again, them in costumes, them in great, like, weird, like, uh, Japanese subway worker costumes, like, construction worker things with the yellow, like, um, belts and stuff, and the song itself, but the song itself was great, and the song itself was, like, it was a new, an- another new thing, right, so, in a way, this next album, Hell Nasty continues to run, it's their Voltron moment, I know I just mentioned a bunch of Kaiju and Ultraman stuff, that's just coincidence. What I'm saying about Ultraman moment is, like, this is them taking everything they've learned from the four albums previous, where they've grown so much and changed so much, taking all that stuff, putting it together finally, and, and sort of like going, this is the mature Beastie Boys, this is kind of what we're going to do, and this is sort of the template for the rest of their career, which isn't, it is long in terms of years, but it's actually, there's, there's only two more albums after this. But, um... Of course, their albums are all like 20 songs long, so that's a lot of music. But, anyways, um, this is them going, Okay, we're it, it's funny in '98, they're basically going, We love it, it's funny, this is them their Voltron moment, but this is also another reinventing the roots in a weird way. This is them going, We love old school hip hop, we basically were like generation three of hip hop, and is only a few years before us, but there was so much music before us that was great and we are kind of on the tail end of that so we're going to go back to the 808 sound sometimes that drum sound that keyboard sound we're going to go back to you know um we're going to fully this is them kind of going like straight up when it comes to the way we rap we are traditionalist in a way we like to stick it to the old school way we're not going to evolve much past that like um we're not going to jump on any trends we're not going to try to up our game with the way we we flow we're gonna keep it the way we've kind of always done as, as a three uh, three-man posse and in doing that on, in 98 enough time had passed from when that was like in vogue it became like a retro thing almost like we're gonna continue rapping old school style because that's how we started and we're just gonna be continue to be old school and so all of a sudden like you know they hadn't really changed what they how they rapped the context had changed it's 98 they're still rapping like this Okay, so that's kind of cool. It's kind becomes this new this new thing <laughs> by them not changing at all. Um, and then the beats they had kind of um, they still do instrumental stuff, but not as. This is the thing that kind of sucked. They lost some of that grimy edge from Check Your Head and Ill Communications, where it sounded like guitars and stuff are a little louder, and, and it was like this is a little cleaner sounding. And it's funny, it's the same producer, it's still Mario C, but um, I think they they wanted something different, and so they went back to New York. They went back for uh, an old-school sound, but like a a reinvented old-school sound, and they had still kept the instrumental stuff they had done in the other albums. And it actually kind of, this new, (laughs) this weird uh, hybrid style also embraced the psychedelic edge of Paul's Boutique. And so it became like, this is the mature Beastie Boys. This is all the stuff we've done before, put together, and this is how we're gonna do it. And it, it works, it's great. Um uh first song man money making money money making super disco super disco breaking. i remember hearing that i'm like oh my god I'm, i love it it sounds so cool it sounds so like just uplifting right and it it was great um there's cool instrumentals sneaking out of the hospitals great um remote control uh song from the man is a really different kind of you know song uh there's also a song uh what's the it? mca it's just him and guitar basically him and guitar there's like other instruments too but like it's like a ballad um uh it's not so i know what the hell oh my god i'm gonna look it up I'm gonna, sorry guys i'm letting you down i'm gonna look the song up because i really like it actually oh i don't know it's really gentle and it's very it's beautiful right um putting shame in your game so good um i think i learned the word uh <laughs> what's, what's the word uh I get 11 points. off The word quagmire. So before Family Guy made quagmire a fairly uh, known word, I got that word from the Beastie Boys. They've always been good for my vocabulary. I learned a lot from them. Um, he has a... <laughs> I'm the king of Boggle. There is none higher. I get 11 points off the word quagmire. Come on. I mean, what else? You don't need to go to school <laughs> or pay attention to school. If you listen to enough Beastie Boys records, your vocabulary will be incredible. Um, I've written books. I mean, boom, there you go, um, but of course, this is 22 songs, so in the 90s, especially the late, ni- late 90s, you know, the CD, a CD can hold more information, more music than uh, an, a vinyl record, right, so some bands went fucking nuts, and I think it's like, I think it's like 71 minutes you can do, or 72 minutes, some bands like went right there, you know, like I think Metallica, Metallica's Load, the first one was like, like three seconds before you can't you just had to stop the music, this is, like, seems like it's there, too, and that does hurt things, right, so there's some stuff, like, I love, there's some songs at the end of the record I th- are some of the best stuff, like, Negotiation, Limerick File, fucking masterpiece, great song, great lyrics, great uh, production, beats, everything, love that, but, yeah, stuff, like, I don't know, it's Picture This Is Okay, and, and Dedication, Instant Death are, are kind of, like, pass the credit song, which are, which are good and meaningful, I understand, but, like, throughout the last half of the album there's some stuff i'm like i don't know man i think you might want to cut that i think you get past that so this is like when this album comes out this is when mtv sort of goes here's this here's the narrative and they're even though they're trying to shape things i think they're basically right they're like okay you see the boys come out their debut it's huge right um then they do misunderstood masterpiece it's basically what i'm saying the second album is this big thing that no one liked but now everyone goes it's great they, of course, kind of, these guys grow up a little bit, realize maybe some stuff they said was kind of stupid and kind of just unfair and not cool. They get over that. They embrace their punk roots. Boom, boom, boom. This is their court of coronation. Like, this is like the BC boys are here. We are, we are, um, we're in a way, it's funny, it's only like 10 years into their career or whatever. Like, we are elder statesmen now. Um, this is them kind of, uh, cementing that, right? Uh, it, it worked. It's earned. Um, I remember this album was big, and it was big for. Uh, but at the same time, I think I think this is when their audience. I think this, and then actually it's probably check your head is the beginning of this. But these three albums are when their audience I think becomes no, they're no longer like hip hop only audience, and they actually come primarily I think a rock audience is listening to the Beastie Boys at this point, like, they're still held in high regards, and a lot of of hip-hop heads, but I think a lot of them are, like, more into, like, the early stuff, right, this album kind of goes, like, yeah, so, it's funny, we're gonna fully embrace being old-school hip-hop, and in doing so, our audience is gonna become more than ever, uh, white rock audiences, like me, um, it's weird how that worked out, but that's what happened, um, it's a great album it's a uh, in in a way it is the end of that initial run it's um i think i i'm gonna i'm gonna spoiler alert i think the run continues but if you stop listening to beast boys after this album you would get a pretty good picture of what their saga is about in a lot of ways um it, this, this is a good end of the movie, in a way. Although I'm glad it isn't, because there's some great shit that comes afterwards. And and, and, they, and they do kind of still, they do change a little bit more, even though this is kind of them settling into, like, what they're all about, right? So Beastie Boys, like, this album's huge. I remember um, uh, there's a high school dance where I got thrown out of it. I think I just didn't pay for it. You had to pay for it, or something stupid. Anyways, I found a way to uh, climb on the roof of my high school... Because there's a this dance was being held in an outdoor kind of courtyard part, right? So I found a way to climb up on the roof, didn't like when no one was looking, hang down and, and drop down from the roof and get back into the party. This song was playing. I hit the ground and my buddy saw me like holy shit, and we we danced intergalactic and our, they had our body moving. They might have been they played both songs. I know that, but the point is I hit the ground. Beastie Boys was playing, and I felt like I was 20 feet tall. I felt so cool, so badass. It was great, man. The, so their music is like. Propelled me in my life, um, and in that era, that was like I feel like that was such a, a banner year for the Beastie Boys. They could do no wrong. Everything they did was cool. They've always been like um, they've been good arbiters of what is cool. Like if they mentioned like John Woo movies, you would go like, "Oh yeah, what's 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 that?" What's that? You look up the references, right? Um, this is them, I think, at the peak of that. They they eventually get you know they get older and so they're not as relevant, um, but it's still an awesome ride. So the next album, they, t- they take a while, and there's some instrumental stuff, which is really cool, but it's not an official album, I don't think. The next one is To the Five Burrows, so this is 2004. So I think a lot of people think this is the end of the run, like th- this this kills the run. And I I think initially kind of subscribed to that, where I was like, it's good, but it's not great, and um, it's uh, it's funny, like, I think I, I initially was kind of like that, but the more I listened to it, I'm like, this is really good, this is really good, and what's part of, What's cool about it is, um, they they are no longer doing like uh, like the in it's like 15 songs long, but at least it's not 22 songs long, right? They learned to edit a little bit, they cut down just a little bit, but what's cool about this album. Is so, like, one of the things I have kind of disagreed with is I, I, I do disagree with that kind of, but one of the things I've seen is like a lot of the, nar- the narrative around this album is like this is the post 911 album. This is them about, talking about New York. It's called To the Five Boroughs. The front cover has the Twin Towers in there. They talk about the towers. They talk, it's this when Bush is present. They hate Bush. They're talking about that. There's some political stuff. Um, people are saying this is them serious. This is like they, in a lot of in negative ways, they go like this is the album where it's good. And I actually like the message, but it's kind of a bummer. I don't think so. I actually think this is when they re- they be start being f- funny again. I think this is them embracing uh, their inner silliness. Like it's basically like them. And I'm projecting probably a lot onto this. I'm a recovered edge lord where I thought anything the worst thing I could say was always the funniest thing I could say, and I've grown up going no, not really. Sometimes it's just fucking stupid and awful. Sometimes it is funny. Sure, you know it's case by case thing. But um, I think they were like this comedy act which is sort of like offensive comedy and then they kind of uh they segued into like um figuring out who they are and then they realized you know the, the funniest things we ever did were more just like just the um the surrealness not surrealness it's, it's more like the Monty Python this kind of like um just craziness the the, the craziness of life humor and, and they've kind of they've gone back to that, which is sort of like, I think in a weird way, they realizing they don't need to, um, they don't need to make, like, uh suit, they don't need to play a character to be funny, and so they are, are themselves still, but they, they're, they're having a little fun, they're, they're older, I think they've also kind of, like, we've made five pretty great records, and we can, we can let our hair down a little bit, so, like, you know, check, check it out, and stuff like that, there's, there's part where, like, you know, uh, Mike D breaks because he's fucking laughing because like, I think it's, like, MCA is in the background like uh, singing along with them and talking about the Everglades and something about it makes them laugh and they kept it on the record I think it's great I think it's them on this album yeah they are talking about 9-11 parts and they're talking about George W. Bush and and you know him being a terrible president and, and then not leaving the country when, when they need him best but they're also talking about silly funny stuff and, and they're they're having you know like they always had this camaraderie and they're making each other laugh and I think that's great, and I think that, that never ever went away, but it, um, it dimmed a little bit, and like, uh, in the, the Check Your Head, uh, Ill Communications, and then the Hello Nasty era, it dimmed a little bit, and then this one, it kind of comes fully back, um, or I'll say it comes, it comes back strong, and then the next album, it's fully back, I think, so, I think this album continues to run, actually, I think, um, Crawl Space is great, I think, uh, Hey, Fuck You, Three the Hard Way, um, uh, what's it called, uh, rhyme, is it rhyme the, yeah, rhyme the rhyme well, I love that song, boo I mean, <laughs> I also love the running jokes that, like, especially MCA, it's like, he, <laughs> like, uh, he'll say something in one song, and then all of a sudden, it's like, on every album he's going to say at least once. He's like so, like he's all the ear goggles, right? <laughs> I, th- I forget the first album he mentioned, it might have been Paul's Boutique. Might have been, I don't think it was the first album, but he, he mentions strap on your ear goggles. And I'm pretty sure almost every album he mentions that. Well, in this album he mentions, uh, if you're feeling cold, he's going to knit you a shawl. <laughs> and so, they only had one album after this, but he mentions shawl again. And Shaw becomes like his running gag. He loves the shawls. I, I don't know because "shawl" is a funny word. It's makes a connotation of old ladies or what it is, but he's he latched onto that shit, and I think it's really funny. Um, <laughs> I, I I love that. So it's like that's his new ear goggle. So he finds it. He finds a new catchphrase in this album. Um, so the the saga continues with one last great album, which um, I believe actually was supposed to be uh, a double album, but MCA, of course, got sick get cancer and um he recovered for a while and then he he died. But I think um I think they I think it, it Boys, you know, they can do like funny shit and just, you know, pretend so the album's called Hot Sauce Committee Part Two. So initially I thought, Oh, it's it's a joke. It's called Part Two, but it's the first one and it's the only one. I think it actually was supposed to be two albums. That's legit. That just didn't happen. Um it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like half of anything. It feels great. It feels like a pretty damn good uh, final statement, and so, this album continues to run, it ends the run, and, you know, it ends a perfect run, I, I, actually think the Beastie Boys, maybe because the last three albums take, like, eight years between e- each album, this, because this is, like, what, 90, no, not 90, that'd be amazing, they went back in time, um, this is 2011, so yeah, seven out, yeah, seven years. Yeah, they take they take more than five years between you know their latter day albums. It might actually help them because they they take their time. And they they figure out what they want to do. What the Hot Sauce Hot Sauce Committee Part Two is doing is I don't I don't think this is even though MCA was sick and they knew that they thought he was going to come through. I think um, through, through the recording of most of it or maybe all of it, they actually thought he was going to be fine eventually. I, I don't think this is them trying to make a last statement. I think this is just them this is sort of like, uh, I think them falling in love again with with their sound. Like they never fell out of love per se, but this is them almost like uh, they're uh, renewing their vows. Yeah, that's what, I, this is a renewing their vows album. This is them, um, it's still continuing that kind of mature sound that started with "Hello Nasty," but they kind of find a way to bring the grime, which I always have missed from like the the ill communications and "Check Your Head" days. It still sounds a little more lively, a little more there's just a little more grit on things, and it's it sounds good. It sounds like it sounds like the dungeon's getting a little dank. Um, uh, Make some noise, kicks it off, and it's it's great. It's it's you know they, they're they're self. Referential, but it's definitely feels earned. They're they're big enough to like, yeah, you know, they're gonna play back, play with some of their fight your rights, uh, fight for your rights stuff, and, and switch it around, and it's gonna sound great, and it's not gonna sound super. It doesn't sound like they're being arrogant. It's like yeah, that that song's like a, a very known anthem. We should we should talk about that. Um, but there's, they are they're, they're they're very funny in this album. Um, they they seem to crack themselves up. They have guest stars, and it doesn't ever feel like uh, cluttered or, we- or weird it feels cool it feels right um there's like that's one of my favorite songs Lee Majors comes again come this song is like the I wish there was actually one more song like this this is basically them playing um instruments and, and doing like a full hardcore punk sound but it's them rapping over it and it's like I wish they would have figured out a way to do this more often, because it's great. Um, some, of their, some of their hardcore punk songs, um, like, Sabotage is, you know, one of the best songs ever written by anybody, in any genre, in my opinion. But, like, Heart Attack Man, stuff like that, it's kind of one note. It's not really my thing. I'm not a hardcore punk guy. Um, so, them screaming over stuff, sometimes it's like, eh. This is them finding a way to use that music, which is awesome, but not to me, do, like, a boring punk vocal, which is just them screaming real fast over something, there's no melody, this is them rapping over it, so, I, Lee Major's Come Again, it's so good, it's like, oh my god, man, if they could have a whole album, not a whole album, maybe, like three more songs like that, they, they would have made a fucking timeless masterpiece, this is a really good album, it's not the timeless masterpiece, though, but they have, uh, just, you know, too many rappers, uh, uh, say it, it's so good, it feels like them having a great time, invite you in, to have a great time with them, uh, talking about the past, but also just, they're not dwelling on the past, they're, they're, they're looking forward in their own way, um, it just feels like they're really into being the Beastie Boys again, and being funny, and being stupid, and silly, and, uh, kind of, kind of surreal with their comedy, and their references, and also, um, I don't know, man. It just feels like a really great... They sound younger on this album. Even though MCA actually... Does, MCA sonically does not. MCA does sound, like, old as fuck because his voice has always been gruff and now he's getting older. Maybe he's sick. But his enthusiasm and their enthusiasm as a group it sounds really young. That's why I think it's it's like, it's them re- renewing their vows. It sounds like if, you know, if he hadn't got sick, they would have made a, a bunch of more albums. Maybe even sooner because, like, they're having a fucking blast on this album and like you know the last song is a is a quick song but the last thing they 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 go ah, it's like money money making new york city and it ends perfectly like that's like their whole career there these there's new york kids grew up on punk rap comes out they embrace it they become rappers then they remember they're a punk band they incorporate that into their stuff they even go to california but they come back they come back to new york city cuz new york kids it's always about new york city that's that's what made them. That's that's who they are. It. I mean, those. That should be the last word. All three of them say New York City. And It is. It's so good. It's um. It's crazy. It's a crazy ride. And it's funny. Like I I was thinking about this for a while. And I was like, ah, I think I don't know if the if the run is perfect because I was gonna. My initial thought before re-listening to some stuff was like, okay, I think I think Hell and Assy ends their initial run. To the Five Boroughs is like, okay, but it's not as great. And then they come back with one isolated great album, which is which is Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. Upon re and I was like, no, man, it works. It's a, it's a great run, it, the whole thing. And I don't know. I, I, we'll see. If I don't know if, if we have another artist who has done a, a perfect run. You know, they have seven major works, which we're counting, and all seven are great you know, I, I don't know if you can beat that, um, I will, I will say, man, the Beastie Boys, like, their, their influence is huge on music, uh, outside music, fashion, even, even, like, movies and video, like, the Sabotage video, I think that has influenced a lot of stuff, like, a lot of movies and stuff, I think has taken a bit of that vibe from it, um, but overall one of my favorite things, like, you know, I was of course very sad when MCA died. He seemed like a really solid guy. He seemed like a good dude who grew up a lot and he had a lot to say, but he never lost um kind of like the group. He never lost his sense of humor. And um uh the Beastie Boys book by Mike D and Ad Rock, um, it's a great book. If you love the Beastie Boys, you are going if you haven't read this, I don't I don't I don't know what's wrong with you. It's an incredible book. Um and what really comes through is what my favorite part of the home mu- of their music is, is it sounds like friendship. It's genuine friendship. These three guys spent more time with each other than, than their families. They grew up together. Um, they're inseparable in a lot of ways. They they fight at some points, you know, obviously. But uh, they love each other, and they're really good friends, and they know each other super well. And it's one of the few groups where, like, uh, I think a lot of uh, groups kind of, like, there is some friendship and there's some love and respect, but there's also a lot of tensions where it's like, uh, we're kind of stuck together because we only, only we can make this art together. These guys, they are stuck together because artistically, they're at their best when they're together. But I think they also just really dug each other. I think they loved each other and they are just great friends. And they grew differently, but they also grew in complementary ways. And you, you can't do better than that. So reading the book reminded me what I love about the Beast Boys. It makes me think about uh, my friends and, and growing up with people. Um, it's that sound of like you change, You change a lot as you grow up, but if you're lucky, the most important things about you, they don't change.